All right. Good morning, Dorisville family. We are so glad to be with you on this Easter morning. And God bless you guys who are tuning in right now on Facebook. And also those who are trying to listen on the radio. I went out the car and listened to it. I know it's rough, but hang in there. 102.3 FM. Give it a whirl. Give it a try. And then later on, of course, we'll be on YouTube. But we only wish that you could be here and celebrate with us. Uh, I, I, you, know, you stood up, and I couldn't stand it. So I got over and halfway danced in the aisles when we sang that last song. It was so powerful and so incredible. I love the line where it says, darkness rejoiced as if heaven had lost. Well, they can only dream about heaven losing because our God is so great and so powerful. And I love this song. When Jesus say yes, nobody can say no. When Jesus say yes, nobody can say no. So God bless you today. As you're there worshiping at home, as what few here are worshiping here, we are excited to be with you here at Dorisville Baptist Church. Now let me encourage you to go ahead and get your app out, the worship app out on your device, whether it be your phone or your iPad, get that thing out and follow along with the sermon today as we talk about the ultimate 828. Now, I could have named this sermon 828, the 828. Um, then it probably referred to Two times a day on your clock. I don't know about you. I'm one of the guys that every once in a while, I will look and look for scriptures and the time. And invariably, it's 828. That's about the time I'm getting around out to the office or whatever. And I'll look and say, oh, 828. All things work together for good. Those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. So I grab that one often. So I could have said that. And, you know, that would have been okay. Two times on the clock. Um, I, oh, also, I, I, had to, I had to look it up. There is a Highway 828 out by Farmersville in Louisiana. Out in Louisiana. So it could be a highway in Louisiana, uh, but it's really not. Oh, and it could have been an area code. Area code 828 is the western part of North Carolina where Charlottesville is. It could have been all of that, but it wasn't. You know why? Because it is the ultimate 828. It's that wonderful promise. It's that truth that all things do work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Paul wrote it in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. And we want to talk about that today. We want to talk about the ultimate plan that God has. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. When you see what God did that Easter morning, that first Easter morning and the resurrection, you're going to see how that bleeds all over into everything that we do for life. You know, there's a story told of a fisherman and some boys, and this is supposed to be a true story, and they were fishing off the coast. I really believe it was New England, if it was England or New England, but I'm going to go with New England this morning. And they got out there in a small boat, and again, it's just a family fishing business, and they lost sight of land because a big storm came in. And so there they were, they were lost at sea, and all of a sudden on the shoreline, in the distance, they could see this brilliant light. And so they knew that if they steered to that light, they would reach land. So they began steering toward that light, and they finally made it to the shore. He lived about five blocks up from the edge of the, of the bay there. So he goes up, and there he finds that his house had burned down. It had been struck by lightning. He falls on his knees and begins to pray and thank God for the fact that his house burnt down. And people are going, what is up with this guy? So they asked him and said, why are you thanking God that your house burned down? He said this, that was the guiding light. The light of my house burning was the guiding light that got us home. You see, even the worst circumstances, God has the ability to bring out good. And that's what we want to talk about today. How God can take the worst and the ultimate being, of course, the crucifixion of his son, and bring all the good and all the wonder from it. Let me go ahead and read through this verse, uh, this Romans 8, 28, just piece, just piece by piece, just for a moment. You know, it says, we know. Now, first off, I like that. Because don't we live in uncertain times? You know, I, every time, you know, when, when, when we close church for two weeks here, on, when we close the building, we didn't close church, when we closed the building for two weeks, that was hard, Brent. Remember we went in that building with the deacons, and we said, wow, we've never done this before, and so we, we chose, we knew it was the right thing to do, protect our citizens, protect our membership, so we did that. And then, lo and behold, just about a, 10 days later, the government said, no, 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 it's not going to be for two weeks, it's going to be for six weeks total now. And now we're up to April the 30th. And I'm going, my goodness, this seems so difficult. This seems so different. This seems so hard. And the truth is, we don't know. We don't know if this is the end of the journey or not. We may end up that we may not meet again until another month of that. We don't know. These are uncertain times. But Paul writes and says, we know. 
We know there's a certainty there. We know, and watch this, that all things work together for the good. All things work together for good. It's like a recipe. It's like a recipe. You know, my wife happens to be a very good cook, and she'll take different items, and you can take any recipe, and whatever items it happens to be, lay them out, the ingredients there, and none of them would be particularly good by themselves. But when you put them together, when you bring them together, they're a wonderful creation. It may be a pie, it may be a cake, it may be fried chicken, maybe several different things. But when it comes together... Good things happen. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. We know that all things work together for good. You know, for the last, is it three weeks now? The last three weeks, you know, I've, I've referenced Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, when, when God was talking to the nation of Israel and they had been exiled to Babylon, he goes, I want you to know something. You know, I've got plans not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. And that's just the old, that is the Old Testament version of 828. All things work together for good. Okay, so he says, I've got plans not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. Uh, the half-brother of Jesus, James, the half-brother of Jesus, James said, you know, you know, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. That, and there's no variable or shadow of turning with him. In other words, he's always the same. So we have these two wonderful scriptures that just confirm the fact that all things work together for good for those who love God. And I need to tell you this, we need to love God deeply. Because the deeply we love God, the more deeply we love God, the deeper the trust will be. As we love God, our trust goes. So we know we have a certainty in uncertain times that all things, the recipe comes together for God, that he's going to do good and it's promised to those who love God, who love God, in fact, deeply, who are called according to his purpose. Ooh, now there's the deal. It's God working his purpose not our purpose. Oh, we stomp our feet with God and we say, I want this and I want this way. I mean, can I just be honest with you? There's a lot of preachers this week, including this one, who stomped his foot and said, I want to meet as a church family the old-fashioned way. But you know what? I was praying this morning. And I want This is the truth. I actually kicked my foot during prayer. Because it occurred to me something that we're stomping our feet because the way things are and yet we preach and preach and preach about how we believe in the sovereignty of God that God's in control which means God either permitted this or God initiated this, one of the two and we stomp our feet because we don't get things our way. What is up with us? Are we conflicted or what? Either God is in control or God is not in control. Either he's the king or he's not the king. I happen to believe he's the sovereign. He's a sovereign ruler. He's sovereign God. And he quit kicking my foot down and say, God, if this is what you have planned for us, then it is well. It is well with our souls. So we're called according to his purpose, not our purpose. Well, um, Jerry Bridges, Jerry Bridges is a teacher, was a teacher, actually died in 2016. Um, he was a teacher for the Navigators. And I'm telling you, what he wrote about 828 is, is golden. It is golden. Listen to these words. To derive the fullest comfort and encouragement. Now, now, 828, Romans 828, is intended to be exactly that. It's, it's intended to be encouraging and comforting. But he says, in order to get the fullest comfort and encouragement from Romans 828, we must realize, we must realize that God is at work in a proactive and not reactive way. Did you get that? He is acting in a proactive, not reactive way fashion. You know, I think sometimes we see, see God this way. Uh, we, we imagine a guy that he's got six plates spinning on a stage. You know, they're all on little sticks there. And we see God is running over here and giving that plate a spin, then run over here and giving that plate a spin, and run over here and give that plate a spin. That's not how God works. God isn't like a little miniature fireman that he has a bucket full of water and he runs from fire to fire putting fires out. That's not how God works. God is so much bigger than that. Jerry continues and says this. That is, God does not... Oh, this is too good. Now listen carefully. God does not just respond to an adversity in our lives to make the best of a bad situation. God just doesn't respond to a bad situation, okay, to make the best of a situation. All right? In other words, in other words God doesn't say, well, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, if life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. That's not how God works. He, he's, he's not the kind of God that, that responds to adversity and says, well, I need to make the best of this. Okay? Your God's too small. 
Your God's too small. He goes and says this. He knows, and this is difficult, he knows before he initiates or permits the adversity exactly how he will use it for our good. He knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, listen, if you're there today and you are discouraged and you're like me sometimes wondering, when is this thing going to end? When's life going to ever turn back to normal? When, when are we going to get back to some semblance of normal? Well, we've just got to trust him, okay? And he's going to use this adversity, listen, that's what the Word of God says, for our good. For our good. Now, the greatest example, the ultimate 828 of Romans, is, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Okay? Here we, here we see Jesus... Dying on a Roman cross. And it's so easy to get angry at Pilate and get angry at Herod and get angry at the Jews and get angry at the Romans, get angry at the crowd. It's so, again, we're conflicted because it's such a bad, horrible day, as Alexander once said. But in fact, it's exactly what God planned. Prove it, Dwayne. Be glad to. Rome, uh, Acts chapter 4. Verse 27 and 28 says this. Now, this is actually Peter and John have, have healed the lame guy outside the temple. They're all, you know, all the leaders are mad at him because they can't keep, <laughs> they can't keep quiet about the resurrection. They just can't, and this is just weeks after the resurrection, and they can't keep quiet about it. So they drag him in front of them and said, you've got to shut up about this resurrection thing. And then Peter and John said, you figure it out whether we should be quiet or not. We can't help but tell what we know. We cannot be quiet about the resurrection, all right? So they go back and they tell the group of believers there in a room what happened. And you know what they did? They panicked. They said, we don't like this coronavirus. They said, we don't like our circumstances. We don't you know what they did. They had a prayer meeting. They were much more spiritual than us, much more spiritual than us. They had a prayer meeting. And part of that prayer says this. For in this city... Now, again, the fires are burning. The fires of persecution are burning around them and getting hotter by the day. We learned that from Acts chapter 8 last week. For, in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the two appointed Roman leaders, okay, Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, that's the Roman soldiers and all those guys, and the people of Israel. Now, that's quite an armada. Okay, so in this city right here, we have Pontius Pilate, we have Herod, we have the Gentiles, and we have the Jewish people all conspiring to put Jesus to death. Okay, that's what they say. You know, quite an armada, Lord, against this. In fact, they say that they are assembled together against. They are assembled together. Who assembled them? Watch. Assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And then goes back to talking about the people to do, not Jesus, the crowd, to do whatever your hand and your will have predestined to take place. You know who assembled the team against Jesus? Do you know who arranged for Herod? And you want to know who arranged for Pilate? Do you want to know who arranged for the Roman soldiers and the Gentiles and who arranged for the Jewish crowds that were against him? That would be your God. You know Why? Because if there wasn't a cross, there'd be no resurrection. And without no resurrection, it's exactly what David read in 1 Corinthians 15. Without the resurrection, we are all people most pitied because we're still in our sins. Tell you what. The biggest 828 was God Almighty arranging the death of His own Son. And the good was our salvation. The good was our eternal life. God knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, John Bloom, and John's on staff with uh, Desiring God, a John Piper's organization. And he says, God is good. Can somebody say amen? God is good. Right there in your living room, you need to say amen. God is good in both the giving and the taking. God is good in the giving and the taking. Joe, Peter, I read a Facebook post, which I... Don't do a whole lot of Facebook, but I happened to grab this guy. This guy was all fired up and said, you know, said, said, I just don't buy that thing in, in Job 42. I think it's verse 7. You know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He goes, I just don't believe that. I said, you're a preacher. You don't believe that? You know, it's in the book. And we all believe the book. Amen? We all believe the book. Well, so here we have God is in the good and the taking and the giving. 
All right, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. When the economy was booming, when the economy was booming, when the stock market was 29,000, God's good. Amen? Now listen to this. When the coronavirus is sweeping around the world and thousands are dying, God's still good. See, the truth is, we like to think sometimes we're smarter than God. But Lisa Turkis, I think, said, you know, she said, God is good and God is good at being God. He's much wiser and much smarter than we are. Um, um, Matt Redman wrote a song. His wife, Beth, wrote a song entitled, Blessed Be Your Name. Um, He says, in the land that is plentiful, you know, blessed be your name. And when I find myself in a desert place, blessed be your name. He goes on and says this, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be your name. So that's the challenge. That's the challenge in these days today that no matter how difficult it gets, we still say, blessed be your name. Now, probably the greatest biblical example of 828 working out, and and so cool because it ties in perfectly with what today's all about, and that's the ultimate 828, the sacrifice of Jesus leading to the resurrection of Jesus is, of course, in John chapter 11. So get your Bibles there, get your device out there, and turn to John chapter 11 or the worship event in John chapter 11, and we see the resurrection of Lazarus. And it's got Jesus' resurrection written all over it. That's a story you're familiar with, but I hope we can learn today some things that maybe we didn't know before. In John chapter 11, verse number 1, said, Now a man was sick. Boy, is that appropriate today? There's really a lot of sick people. A lot of sick people. So now a man named and a man was sick and it was Lazarus from Bethany. You know, that's what you do. You say like Lazarus from Bethany, Dwayne from Harrisburg, you know, Brent from Heron. Okay, that's how you kind of said their names, all right? So a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, at the village of Mary and Martha. Now you're gonna find out in, in a moment that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were really good friends with Jesus. Okay, so kind of store that away. We're gonna talk about it in just a moment. Really good friends. And in fact, we're, and now John's looking ahead about a chapter, okay? Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. It hasn't happened yet, okay? But since, since he could look back, because he's telling the story, he said, now, just so you know what Mary this is, this is the one that after what happens with Lazarus happens, she anoints him with oil and rubs it with her hair. That's the Mary that we're talking about. And it was her brother, Lazarus, that was sick. So, so, so we've, got, we've, got, you know, we've got Mary and Martha and Lazarus, great friends with Jesus. We've got a woman who's going to show her love by, by um, breaking a vase of expensive perfume and then rubbing it with her hair on the feet of Jesus. we got all that going on. So you're going to say, well, this story's going to have to have a good ending. Well, let's just wait and see. In John eleven three, it says this. So the sisters, Martha and Mary, sent a message to him. Here's what the message said. Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. So when Jesus heard it, now listen carefully. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death. This sickness will not end in death. Now, did you just hear what he said? You remember the story about when when Jesus and the guys were going to get in the boat? You remember this? We preached it not too long ago. Maybe the first message here in this series. And so when they got in the boat, and what did Jesus say? He made a promise. We're going to the other side. Okay? He did not say, going to the other side, there's no issues, there's no problems, everything's going to be great, smooth sailing. No, he just made this promise. You're going to the other side. That's all he promised. Well, here he says, here he says, this sickness will not end in death. In other words, when the story is done, death won't win. Come on, that sounds good to me. When the story is over, death will not win. And you need to know that today. You need to know that right now. I just need to stop and chase a tiny rabbit and say this. If you're sitting there and you're discouraged and you're sad and you feel so broken, so isolated, so alone, you need to know something. In your story right now, death will not win in the end. You just need to know that. Amen. You just need to know that. So, so, so the story goes, you know, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. So that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. It won't end in death. Okay? But here's what, here's what it's all about. It's about God getting glory. Now, boy, somebody's going to disagree with this. You know what this coronavirus is all about? 
God's going to get glory out of it. See, every, you know, again, that's 828. All things work together for good, okay? It's God getting glory out of every situation. God is going to bring glory out of this, okay? And we're already seeing some of that. Families are, are more united than ever, Brent. Churches are stronger than ever, not weaker. People, people are tuning in on Thursday night and Friday night on the Internet to, to take the Lord's Supper and celebrate Good Friday or celebrate Monday Thursday. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is bringing good from this. So he says, now, now this sickness will not end in death. It's all about my Father being glorified and me receiving the glory as the Son of God. But then he says something else. It's so important. In verse 5, he says this. So Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. You know why he said that? You know why he pointed that out? Because it wasn't going to be obvious. Come on, can we be honest? Can we just be candid one with another? Doesn't it seem like sometimes that God's love doesn't feel very loving? When, when your loved one's laying in the hospital with the coronavirus about to die, or, or when you've lost your job and you don't know where you're gonna, how you're going to pay the bills, or, or there's no food on the table, or your husband's left you for someone else, or, or your children are walking away from God, whatever it looks like, you might, might, might be tempted as a believer in Jesus even to say, you know, God doesn't love me. Well, Jesus tells us this because what's about to happen, the news that's going to happen, and news is going to break, it may look like God doesn't care and Jesus doesn't care and doesn't love. Every once in a while I do this, and today's a good day. If you're listening today on Facebook, if you're listening on the radio, if you're going to listen to this message a little bit later on YouTube, or if you're sitting one of the ten people sitting in this room today, I need to tell you something. God loves you, and i got proof. And the proof sits in a replica of something that always takes a major spot on our stage. And that is that cross. The cross is God's megaphone of love. Don't ever forget that. The, if you ever wake up and you say, you know, Satan's whispering in your ear, if God loved you, he wouldn't. If God loved you, he would. Um, if God loved you, your circumstances would be different. If God loved you, you'd have a spouse. If God loved you, your kids would do this. If God loved you, your husband would do that. If you find yourself sometime that happening, you just remember this. Because this rugged cross stained with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, forever shouts through galaxies that God loves you. Don't forget that. Don't let your circumstances dictate something different. That's why Jesus said that. He said, what's about to happen is going to be difficult. And John records it and says, and make sure we understand, that Jesus loves Martha's sister it's her sister and, and Lazarus. And I want you to look at him. God loves you. God loves you. If you're not his child yet, God loves you. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. And he waits and waits and waits for you to come into his family. And if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God loves you. God loves you. Don't ever forget that. Well, we're going to skip down to verse number 17 now for time's sake. So Jesus arrives. So when Jesus arrives, he's got the message, okay? And Jesus arrives and he finds out something. He finds out that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. For four days. It kind of appears that maybe he was just a little bit late. But you know, I read this a long time ago and I confirmed it last night in my study. He wasn't late. In fact, here's the deal. Well, we know God's never late. We know that. But there's good evidence. In fact, if you'll just do the math. From, from Bethany to where they were was just about a day's travel. About a day's travel. Jesus delayed two days, and then he traveled from where they were to Bethany. One plus two plus one equals four. If you do the math and go backwards, probably the day the messenger left, Lazarus died. Do the math. Four days, go back four days, just about the day. If he'd been in the grave four days, he died four days, just do the math. About the time the messenger left, Lazarus died. So he got there and he found out that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Four days. Four days is difficult. 
You know, if, if someone has a heart attack and goes code blue, you've got about two minutes to get the heart beating again. There's hope. There's hope. Um, if, if you happen to be in a hospital and there where they can do efficient CPR and the paddles and all that, you know, it can go 30 minutes. They can do chest compressions and keep you going for about 30 minutes. Hope is still there. Four days. Four. He, he was beyond recitation. He, there, wasn't, there wasn't any bringing him back, resuscitation. There wasn't any bringing him back. He was beyond that. He, he was beyond superstition. What superstition, Dwayne? Well, it's this. The Jews believed, and it was pure superstition. The Jews believed that the spirit hung around for about three days. For about three days. And on the fourth day, it would leave. He would leave. So at day four, their superstition and tradition wouldn't hold water anymore. It was gone. It was gone. It was, it was beyond imagination. You know, have you ever, if you ever gone through the death process with, with someone you love, you just say, oh, I can just imagine them being alive. I, just gonna, I, I can just imagine. What if they hadn't died? I can just imagine. You know, a widow might wake up in the middle of the night and just imagine how life would be with their husband again. Four days it was beyond imagination. Can we be honest? It was beyond all reason. What they needed was a miracle. And his name is Jesus. You may be sitting there saying, you need a miracle. I happen to know a miracle worker. And his name is Jesus. Well... Tony Evans said, we used this reference, I think, last week. You know, God's timing and path are always perfect. Trust his delays. If it goes one day, two days, five days, five months, five years, just keep trusting God's delays. He's got you. God's timing and path are always perfect. Trust his delays. He's got you. Well, in verse number 20, Martha hears that Jesus is coming. So as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. So outside of town, she meant to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. We'll talk about her in just a moment. Then Martha said to Jesus, now listen, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if, hmm. how many times have we said that? Lord, if, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, as a pastor, I've taught this many times over my 37 years in the ministry, but I finally saw something that was like obvious and I missed it. You know, my first thought is, is it a, is it a statement of disappointment? And it was. It was. She was disappointed that right down the alley, right down the road, in a cave with a stone rolled in front of it, lay her brother that she loved and Jesus loved. And he was dead. Was she disappointed? Yep, she was. But here's what I didn't see. Okay, that's a statement of disappointment, but is it a statement of faith? And the answer it is. It is. She was disappointed. See, disappointment and faith can coexist. Doubt and faith can. But disappointment and faith can exist together. And so she's a bit conflicted. She's disappointed. Her brother died, but there's also faith. And she said, Dwayne, where do you see the faith? Oh, well, look. Look at verse 22. Even now. Now, her brother is right. Brent, her brother is right over down there, down about three blocks, let's say, down. And there's a cave. There's a stone rolled in front of it. Her brother's in there in the process of decay. I'm not being funny. She said it. I didn't. And yet she says, even now, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, if that's not a statement of faith, I don't know what is. My brother's down in the cave decaying. And I don't, I don't, we have never experienced this up from the grave thing, dead thing, you know, with human beings like Lazarus, especially after four days. We've not seen this before. But somehow, I believe that whatever you ask, God will give you. It's kind of like Abraham. I wasn't going to bring this up because I haven't got time. But remember when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? 
And they went up on the mountain. They had the, the fire and they had the wood. And Isaac looks at Mo, Abraham and says, uh, we've got the fire and got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? And he said, God will provide the sacrifice. And Abraham knew that the promise, his lineage would continue through this boy. Not Ishmael, for this boy. And yet he was willing to go up on the mountain. And if God asked him to sacrifice his boy, he was willing to sacrifice his boy. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that he believed somehow that if God did take the boy's life, God would give the boy's life back. He would resurrect the boy. And that appears what Mary's saying, or Martha's saying right here. Even now, even now. He's riding in the grave, but even now. I know God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, well, your brother's going to rise again. Your, bro- your brother will be resurrected. And he was thinking so big. And she was thinking so small. Because you know what she thought? Oh, yeah, one day. You know, when we all get to heaven. Because he lives. Oh, yeah. One day, I know, I, know, I know the heaven story from my Jewish perspective. I know the heaven story. So one day, yeah, I'm one of those Jews that believe in the resurrection. I know he'll resurrect. He was thinking something much bigger. He was thinking in a few minutes. She was thinking in several years or more. I know. My, he will rise again in the resurrection. What she didn't know. She was staring the resurrection in the face. So we're only about nine days away from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, but she just didn't know she was staring not death. She's not staring death in the face. She's staring life in the face. The resurrection is going to come for him. And the resurrection is going to come for Lazarus. Not in days. But in just a few minutes. And then Jesus said something that's so powerful. He said, she said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. You know the story with Moses, you know, break the people out of Egypt, you know. He's going back and he says, he says to God, okay, so you want me to go back, right? Yes, that's what I want you to do. I want you to go back. Okay, so I'm going to get there and they're going to say, who sent me? Who sent you? And God said, who, who shall, you know, Moses said, who shall I tell them sent me? And what did God say? Tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. And Jesus said, I am. It's more than two small words in the English put together. It's a name. And so, and so what he's saying is, because, now come on now, come on, come on, come on. Because I am God... I am the resurrection. See, see, when Jesus died and got up out of the grave, he proved forever that he was more than a mere man. He proved he was the Son of God. A lot of men died on crosses. Only one got back up to live forever. To live forever. So I am the resurrection and the life. But see, the resurrection is not an event in history only. It's a current event. Remember, did we have classes, Brent, in school where we had current events? Well, the resurrection is a current event. Well, Dwayne, how is the resurrection a current event? Because every time someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel, a resurrection occurs. Excuse me, Pastor? Sure, that's okay. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead. So every time someone trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, someone who is spiritually dead is spiritually resurrected. The resurrection is a current event. I didn't hear any amens in the auditorium. It's powerful. It's wonderful. And, and it goes on and says, you know, with Christ, even though we were dead in trespass, that's your saved by grace. So Paul is saying resurrections occur all the time. Okay? And it occurs with the fact that when I am dead in sin and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, like I hope many of you have, then you are resurrected. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
It's the power of the resurrection that raises men and women into eternal life. It's the power that I may know him and the power of the resurrection. One of the songs that David has recently taught us, you know, it says this by Jeremy Camp. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us, lives in us. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit who saves us, who saves us. But we're just not resurrected spiritually. We're going to be resurrected physically. See, over in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord Himself, this is coming one day, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangels of voice and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we, we, you know, spiritual resurrections are happening. Many spiritual resurrections will happen today in churches across this world as the gospel is taught and people are saved. And they go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. But there's coming a day when we will be resurrected physically, just like Jesus Christ. It wasn't, a spirit, it wasn't, it wasn't his spirit being resurrected. He was physically resurrected. He had a body that could go through walls and yet eat fish. Isn't that wild? I mean, like, boom, boom. He could be here and then be there. Paul said in Philippians 3.21, he said, He will transform our lowly body to one like his glorious body. I'm kind of, I don't know. If you've got a too many donut body, <laughs> that's got to excite you. <laughs> if you've got a, your hair took a vacation body, that kind of excites you. If you got you wouldn't win any beauty contest body, that should excite you. Because he, we're going we're gonna to get rid of this lowly body, and we're going to get a body like his. What Paul describes as a glorious body. Amen. Amen. So he goes, I am the resurrection and life. And listen, the one who believes, not the one who goes to church a lot, not the one who gives the most money, not the one who thinks he can perform his way to heaven. No, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And now I'm wondering if Martha's going, what if that applies to my brother? I wonder, is he trying to, is there a bigger picture that I'm seeing? Well, to make it clearer, in John eleven twenty six, just one verse down, here's what he says. Everyone. Now, somebody say everyone. Everyone. You know, rich, poor, black, white. You know, what, no matter what section of town, what country, what language you speak, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Will never die. I sometimes freak people out at funerals because I'll use this scripture. And I make sure they understand if that person was a believer, David, if he was a believer, I want them to understand something. They're not dead. The body may not work, but they're in heaven. They're in heaven. And when, that's what Jesus is talking about. You know, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He's talking about, you know, I give them eternal life. The essence of you will never die. And they ask that huge question. You know, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I'm going to tell you something. You've got to nail this down in your heart. You can't poke around and look around at your circumstances, okay? Because they will discourage you. They'll tell you that God doesn't love you, that God's out of control, that somehow Satan had a patent. I heard the words about patent of the coronavirus floating around the internet. You know, that Satan had a patent on the, on the uh, coronavirus and he could inflict this pain and suffering anytime he wanted to. Let me just tell you something. If Satan could do what he wanted to do, I would be dead right now. I'm not much of a preacher, but I'm pretty sure that Satan would rather be dead than alive. Do you think churches would be open? No, he would just, if he could kill who he wanted to kill, he'd just kill everybody. Every time a person trusted Jesus, boom, dead. Come on. Your God's bigger than that. Your God's bigger than that. Do you believe this? And it's, again, this woman, I, I didn't realize how much faith Martha had. Because, you know, she, she sounded like Abraham. Now she sounds like Peter, the good Peter. The, the, you are the Christ, Peter. He says, she says, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe you. 
I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Son of God and the the one who came into this world. I believe. Do you believe today? Are you willing to believe today in spite of your circumstances? Are you willing to believe in spite of a skeptical society? I was sharing with someone a couple of days ago. I'm sure we were social distancing. And we were talking. I said, you know what? It takes more faith not to believe than to believe. Tell you what. You want to strengthen your faith? Get on one of these channels that talk about nature and stuff. And they'll, and they'll try to come up with an explanation for why we had this world. And you talking about stretching? They stretch it. And I'm going to I do it too. I say this every time. They want me to believe that. They want me to. They make fun of my God. They make fun of seven days of creation. They make fun of that. They can't explain why the earth is in the perfect golden zone to where all of this happened. And they want me to believe that. I don't think so. I'm not that stupid. I'm just not that stupid. No. Do you believe that? Are you want to believe that in spite of your circumstances? Martha did. Her brother was down in the tomb. And she chose to believe. Well, let's just, we're going to have to run because we're, we're about out of time. But let's, let's go ahead and go a little further. You want to? Because we don't want to leave Lazarus in the tomb on Easter. That wouldn't be any good. Okay? So I'm just going to read some scriptures here. Uh, verse 28. You know, she said that. What a way to end the sermon. She said that. And she called, went back and called her sister Mary and said in private, The teacher is here. He's calling for you. And as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. So Mary now went to him. And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was, she fell at his feet. You know, Mary was always at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to give you something about personalities. Mary was the worshiper. Martha was the theologian. Both of them are great. Do you see how Jesus, see their different personalities? The discussion that, the theology discussion that Martha just had with Jesus and now we're going to see how Mary responds. And she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and trust me, same words, different meaning. Her heart is broken. She's not mad at Jesus. Okay? She's still a woman of faith too. But her heart's broken. And, and the Bible says in verse 33, So when Jesus saw her crying, I love this. When Jesus, let, let me just, whoa, 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 whoa. When Jesus saw her Jesus sees your tears. Don't you think he's up there playing golf in heaven? He feels your pain. He feels your sorrow. He feels your agony. I'm glad we've got that kind of a Savior. Uh, You know, human like we are, yet without sin. When he saw her crying and then he saw the Jews crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. This is so loaded with truth. Um, the word there, deeply moved, okay, translates two weird things. Well, one weird thing. The first thing it translates from the Greek is concerned. She, he was concerned for her. But it also translates indignant, almost anger. He's not angry at her. Why are you doing crying, Mary? No. He's not, he's not saying, why are you Jews crying? You're probably getting paid to cry. They have professional mourners. No. He's angry at sin and death. He is angry at sin and death. And bless God, in about eight days, he's going to do something about it. See, I'm glad we've got a God who does something about it. There's people who talk about it. There's people who wonder about it. I'm glad we've got a God who can do something about it. He's going to do something about it. So he was angry and indignant at death and suffering and sorrow. All the stuff, pain and sin and Satan causes in this world. And he was deeply troubled. One of the means from the Greek is turbulence. He was fired up. I like that. He was fired up. Not at the people. But at the devil. He was fired up. Not the people. But death. He was fired up. Not about the people. But about sin. And he was going to do something. Where have you put him? Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. It wasn't for Lazarus. 
He knew, he knew this story. He was writing this story. He knew the end. He wasn't crying for Lazarus. He was crying for the brokenness he saw around him. It broke his heart. I'm just so glad we've got a Savior who weeps with us. Who weeps with us. So the Jews saw him crying and said, see how he loved him. And he did. But again, they misunderstood the tears. They thought the tears were because his friend died. Well, his friend's fixing to be alive again. That makes no sense. No, it had to do with the brokenness of the people. And some of them said, could he open the, who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? Just in John chapter 9, you know, Jesus opened the eyes of a blind man? Couldn't he, if he did that, couldn't he do this? Yeah, but remember, this is all about God's glory. And God would have got some glory from healing. He's going to get a lot of glory from a resurrection. Verse 39. He was deeply moved, came to the tomb, just like he was going to be in in about nine days. Remove the stone! In verse 39, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, he stinks. The decay... Now, you got to get this. The decay process had started. It makes the miracle bigger. The decay process has started. Lord, there's a stench. The smell of death and defeat is all over this place. He said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And this is when he clarifies, okay? Remember I said, your brother will rise from the dead? Martha, I wasn't talking about in 15 years. I was talking about 15 minutes. So they moved the stone, and Jesus raises his eyes. And, 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 and in the English, he prays 33 words. 33 words. It goes like this. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd staying here, I said this so they may believe you sent me. That's it, 33 words. Really had nothing to do with the resurrection. I just want you to know why I'm doing this, Father. I'm praying so they will know that you sent me. That's why I'm praying. And then, after he said this in verse 43, he shouted. Someone say shout. He shouted. He shouted, Lazarus, come forth. You know, too many preacher jokes have been made about the fact if... He hadn't said Lazarus, every dead person would come out of the tomb. There may be more truth in that than you know. I mean, come on, when the author and giver of life speaks and says, come out, who's all coming out? Hello? He said, Lazarus, come out. Well, the dead man. Uh, Should we say former dead man? The former dead man came out. He was bound hand and foot. See, it was game over. Just like they took Jesus and put all the spices and bound him up, they didn't expect him to come back to life. They sure didn't expect Lazarus to come back to life. They buried him for good. <laughs> Should have called Joe's rent a tomb because he didn't need it very long. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And you know what Jesus said? Let him go. Let him go. You know why? He wasn't any longer dead. He wasn't longer dead. Now, let me tell you this. If, if we had been writing a story, if we had been writing a story, it would have gone something like this. So Mary and Martha would have sent um, this note to Jesus, and Jesus would have said something like this. I don't even need to come. I love you so much. Just go home. By the time you get there, he'll be healed. It would have been a nice story. I'm not sure it would have made John, okay, because Jesus did that a lot. Not every healing is written in the book. Okay, Luke said, if every miracle was recorded in the Word of God, the world couldn't hold the volumes. Okay, so it probably wouldn't have made the cut, is what I'm trying to say. If we'd have been writing the story. But because God wrote the story, a dead man, four days in the tomb, beyond resuscitation, beyond superstition, beyond imagination, beyond all reason of hope, walked out, probably hopped, because he was bound up, hopped out of the tomb. What a story. See, God's story is always better than our story. Our God's story is always bigger than our story. God's ways are always better than our ways. I say I said that. So if you're here today, if you're here today, if you've never put your faith and trust in the man on the cross who came out of the tomb, 
I want to encourage you to do that. These are days you need to hear the truth. And the truth is that the Bible says every person has sinned. The truth is that without Jesus, we'd be lost eternally in our sins. But God loved us, sent his son Jesus, orchestrated the crucifixion. Jesus willingly died and yielded his spirit up, was buried and came back to life. And then he says, anyone who believes in me will never die. Anyone who believes in me will never die. He invites you to believe in him so you can have eternal life. I gave my phone number out last week. I'll do it again this week. Um, please don't call after dinner. We've got a great ham planned. 499-0070. If you want to know more about Jesus, I hope you'll call me. I hope you'll call me. I'd be, I would love the privilege of sharing just a little bit more about Jesus. And if you're here today and you're part of our family, and thank you again for watching and for listening this morning. But if you're here, don't be discouraged. God's got this. Rest in Him. He's got this. It doesn't matter how long it goes. Either he's sovereign or he's not, and I believe he is. He's got this. Rest in him. Trust him. He's got this. Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you so much for the privilege. Oh, my goodness, the privilege of sharing your word today. And thank you for the ultimate 828, that you orchestrated the very death of your son, that we could have forgiveness of sins. Thank you for that. And for someone listening this morning, maybe someone's going to be listening later on this week through the rebroadcast of the service. May they, if they've never put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, may it be the time that they do. May it be their day of salvation. And Father, help us, we, your people, not to be discouraged, to keep trusting in your sovereign will. Because You've got this, and we believe that. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.